0: Welcome to Rule of Three, a podcast about comedy. I'm Joel Morris. I'm Jason Hazley. And as usual, we're joined by someone who makes comedy to talk about something funny that they love. By taking it apart, maybe we'll learn something about how comedy works or we'll just quote bits from it and giggle until we're finished. Both approaches are valid. Our special guest today is Ed Lloyd. Hello. Award-winning Award, Hello. Winning. award winning. Lloyd.
1: <laughs>
3: yes, I did specify you. Yes, you that. have
1: to say that, otherwise <laughs> award you, don't, winning. you don't come in. Award uh, congratulations on Thank your you. you've got three podcast awards. Three British cast.
3: podcast awards. Amazing. Yeah, yeah it's very exciting. I didn't expect to have any, so that's quite nice. When you do a show about death, you don't think people are going <laughs> to well give you best entertainment. So. It's, such
1: a, it's such a good subject for a podcast, really. Really, yeah, people
3: it? say that. But it wasn't conscious. Do you know what I mean? Because like, a lot of people say to me, oh, good, good, good idea. Well, I caught the uh, fashion and the trend of death. I'm is there like, a
0: death trend of the moment? Apparently, no one used to die, apparently. Yeah, this no is one. A new
3: no, thing. Exactly. It's brand new. Yeah, so I do a show called Grief Cast uh, where I interview comedians about their experiences of grief and death. But it's only because my dad died when I was 15. So I've spent a long time talking about this. I literally thought, oh, I always have these chats with comedians, really bleak sort of bleak but melancholic and happy chats about death at, at like, you know, a gig or a party when everyone else is having a nice time. I thought, I wonder if anyone else would want to hear that. Because sometimes I have a really intense chat and I think, oh, that's a shame that that's gone. Um, You know, we didn't get to sort of put that out. That's literally all I thought. I
1: think what's interesting about it, uh, among many things, is that because you're talking to people who are in comedy, they've got a slightly different set of coping mechanisms, Mm -hmm. haven't they? Because they are able to find the black humour in it and they are able to find the levity in what is basically a shit situation.
3: Yeah. I think also, I think if you're not in comedy, because I get a lot of emails from people being like, I'm not in comedy, but I made jokes about this. I think (laughs) what it is is that comedians don't feel so bad about reacting like that because they're used to, their whole life, anything awkward, whether it's death or, you know, a party or being a teenager, they've made jokes about it. That's how they've coped. Mm. So when death came along or grief came along, they went, oh, I'm just going to do what I always do, which is crack jokes at inappropriate times because that's how I cope. But I think, inverted commas, normal people, the muggles, as um, Sarah Pascoe calls them, <laughs> um, like I think they sometimes feel guilty, like oh I shouldn't, you know, only I'm only going to say that joke to my family about yeah. my dead dad, but obviously I'd never say. because so I think comedians are like, no, that's that's how I survive life is by making jokes at difficult
0: moments. But that's almost like the if you if I was going to be forced with a gun to my head (laughs) to sort of say how does comedy work Yeah, I think it is not going for the first standard reaction to something, it's taking a step side to the left and looking at it from a slightly different angle and saying okay well what if I didn't react that way I reacted a different way and you can apply that shockingly to everything even down to death and with death and with grief there's such an expected way to behave Yeah, and there's also a dignified way necessarily people, there's a way you're supposed to give your condolences and send flowers and things and the first people who are going to say, do you know what? What if I didn't send flowers and then start thinking about it a different way? Yeah. Probably writers and comedians who they do that in their job all the time. What if I thought about politics a different way or whatever?
3: Yeah, I think that's really interesting. It's just that, and I think i thought like it's helpful to have a set of rules of how to react about grief and death, but often we've got these like Victorian rules about yeah. stuff, but weirdly, we've lost all of the Victorian sense of like ritual. So we've lost this idea of like someone wearing mourning or a black armband or being very respectful, but yet we've kept the repression and the (laughs) I don't know what to say to you. So then you're left with like, well, there's no ritual to help me deal with this, but I don't know what to say to you. So I'm just not going to say anything. And I, yeah, I think that's really interesting that a comedian will then go, well, what if I just made a joke about your dad (laughs) being dead or my dad being dead? And I don't come from a family of comedians and writers really at all, but my family dealt with it for humour but my mum's side my mum's from like sort of east end Essex so there's just this very like they don't really do sad very well they do funny much better yeah so I think that's what I grew up with like if you don't laugh you cry, like you cry so that and that's the worst thing that can happen is well, that you I, might cry I've, so I've, let's crack jokes guys
0: I've always said that I th- we if you talked about what the the platonic ideal the funniest joke in the world would mm. be and I always my phrase was always the funniest joke you ever heard is a joke shared between siblings in the back row of a funeral Oh
3: God, yes and you're always so aiming funny. everything
0: you do is to aim yeah to, to share a private joke with the public is the skill you learn as a comedian yeah. and the giggliest joke is you're not meant to be laughing this person gets all the references yeah, yeah. you are friends <laughs> this is a tribal signifier between you it's valuable and you trying to hold the laugh in and yeah. there are versions of that that are more diluted, like not laughing in a physics lesson and I think one of the things that's really interesting about people who do live comedy is you're trying to make people laugh in an atmosphere where you're allowed to laugh. Yeah. And you tend to not laugh when you're allowed to laugh. You tend to laugh far deeper when you're not meant to be laughing.
3: That's so... Like, one of my husband, um, like he said, one of his funniest moments is him and his sister crying at their grandma's... like, granny's funeral because the the way the um, pallbearers were walking was very Monty (laughs) Python-esque. And they just... With... (laughs) And they said they didn't even say anything. They both watched Monty Python. They both just knew. And he said he could. He just knew that she was laughing about the same thing. They were both trying to hold it on. And they were like just crying. And of course everyone thought they were crying for their granny. But they were just <laughs> crying at these these slightly sort of tall skinny pool bearers walking. And I think also the thing that people forget is the release. Because you are extremely sad. So it's not, it's not like oh, death is funny. It isn't. Death is horribly tragic and sad. But sometimes you want to break from that. So the jokes become... Much funnier than our at a comedy club because you're currently grieving hmm. and you just want to breathe air again. And jokes yeah. allow you to breathe air. You're like, oh, there's life. That's what I used to feel. I used to feel happy. Oh, right now I'm grieving again. But that joke becomes like this, like the coolest glass of water on the hottest <laughs> day possible. Because you're like, oh yeah, I remember when I was happy. Oh, there it's gone. So, <laughs> but it's really nice to have that moment, it's I
0: surfacing for air. Is oh that, yeah, like, you like, can't water and you yeah. come up and
3: oh, yeah.
0: normality is there. And yeah. I suppose that's yeah, and
3: it's a really I think that's why it, it is a coping mechanism because it reminds you you will get over you know not over it but you will get past this particular painful moment you will get back to normal life you won't be this shell of a person and the joke allows you sort of to like time machine to fast forward and be like oh yeah there's there's me happy I'm not there yet but I can be there for you know 10 seconds in a joke
0: yeah. it's the simplest thing possible to tell someone who's grieving and go It's okay. In a few days, this will not be how you feel. In a few hours, in a few minutes. But when you're in the middle of it, it feels like it's going to stretch on forever. So a joke at that point to go oh remember when it was yeah. funny remember your what heart was,
3: and literally like all those phrases we use like heartwarming heart lifting like your heart does lift when you laugh and then you sort <laughs> of go oh yeah my body won't feel this pain anymore and that's why people say it gets easier with time it, it's not that it gets easier it's that you realise it will end yeah. so your first year is fucking awful it's just awful because it's the first time you've ever gone through those things but then the next time those waves of grief happen you go oh yeah I got through that didn't I so maybe I'll get through this so you just unfortunately have to have that first year where you
0: learn oh there is light at the end of the tunnel people say that about having a second child don't <laughs> they? it's easier because you know <laughs> yeah, oh the, yeah, they same. didn't stay a baby I wasn't awake for the whole of my life it was only for a short period yeah
3: I think birth and death obviously are so similar my, my I've just had a baby 18 months ago and I can't believe how similar the first year of of wow. having a baby is is to the first year of grief because you feel exact because wow. you're not you're not sleeping so you're exhausted which is similar when you're grieving you can't sleep properly you're exhausted you're emotionally your emotions are all over the place you feel isolated no one understands your position like when someone's died there's just an absence of someone and when someone's born there's just the presence so it's a different feeling but it's I think so 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 much. Holy the, the, shit
1: that's a brilliant point I've, never, the, I've yeah. never thought yeah. that never thought it reminded of that. me it's adding so or removing much. someone from yeah, your, your yeah. life that leaves a
0: hole or occupies where there was a space and you suddenly mm. go yeah. oh I'm banging my elbow on that yeah. person who wasn't there or, or I reach out to grab them and they've gone
3: and like when you have a baby and then suddenly like there is literally this like new circle in your life you're like oh i can't move there anymore because there's a yeah. thing in the way um that's weird and the same like when someone's gone you're like oh i can stretch my arm out they're not there oh they you know we get used to each other's presence and energy or souls whatever you want to call it so i think yeah birth and death are extremely similar and now i can t- having had a child i can now understand that yeah. second child thing because when you have when you have that first year of a baby you're like this tell me tell me this isn't going to be how it is forever i remember saying <laughs> that to people like T- like is it like this forever and people get going no, 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 you will sleep again, you sometimes, will leave the house. Sometimes that
0: period will last like something like two days. Yeah. That, that a child will go through a, a period of, of, of behaving in a certain way and you go, is this the rest of my life? And then two days later, they've changed, they've stopped yeah. doing that thing and you've forgotten you ever went through it because yeah. you just, you're just you too tired to have it's those The memories.
1: rate of change of being a parent of a very young child yeah. is really weird because yeah. I, I remember having a conversation when our first child was about six months old. We had some friends who had a child that was about two months old and they asked us a question about something <laughs> Thing, <laughs> yeah. Whether it was colic or something like that. And we both went, I can't remember. Yeah. I can't remember. Don't know. Because um, yeah. it just it, because it's so long ago. Because the child keeps changing and changing yeah. and changing, and the routines keep changing. And so you forget fast. all that stuff that used to happen um, only a few months ago. When
3: you're the parent of the two month old, you're like, "What do you mean
0: you can't fucking remember? What is <laughs> wrong with
1: you? What's it done to your brain? Like, yeah, it's the like, most dominating thing about my Yeah. You...
3: And then when you're suddenly the six months, you're like, "Oh, I don't know what we." Because I remember saying to my like my mum, like, "Oh, well, you know, how did you feel when like the first month? And she was like oh I can't remember.'" And I thought, "What? What kind of mother are you? <laughs> what do you mean you don't remember?" And then I got there and was like, "Oh." I see. It's really overwhelming. <laughs>
0: we, we talked. to Izzy saty about this and set up uh, the the? Very often, when you get professional childcare or mm. family childcare, you pull people in, going, "You'll know what to do." And the people you pull in are either eighteen-year-old girls who've never had children yes. who babysit your kid, yeah. or your mum or dad mm. who will have forgotten oh, everything. My God. Yeah, yeah. You get people. If you if you wanted to challenge me to do something right now, it wouldn't be to strip a rifle. It would be to make a bottle of formula milk. <laughs> I simply couldn't do it, and I did that for years. I know. Sterilising. <laughs> Sterilising.
3: I know. Oh, I was thinking about that the day because I found like one bit of a, the sterilise and I was like oh, the sterilise. Like, I got rid of. I was what like,
1: artifact is this? And I was
3: like, God, that was like the biggest part of her life. It was so. It was but then, such
1: a routine, isn't yeah, it? Yeah,
3: and it's like you know, but say with grief, like that first year, you think. I will never feel happy again. I will never talk to my friends. I will never appreciate like it
0: could of be a betrayal
3: yeah, almost to do. Yeah, yeah. And if you see anyone happy, you're like, "What are you doing? <laughs> Who are you?" And then suddenly 2 years has gone by and you're smiling or you're watching a film, and you're like, "Oh, I see." It, you know, and that's not to say, again, it's things like if you have a child, no one would disagree with the statement. It changes your life forever. Mm. And if you lose someone, it changes your life forever. Like yeah, it's it does. not it's not going to magically Oh, you're fine now. Like, no one would say, well, your child is four. You're not a father anymore. And you've done it. (laughs) They're up. They're at school. What is your problem? No one would say that to you. Apart from the very posh. Apart from the very posh, you send it to a school and then your job is done. But people would say to you four years after your parent or sibling or child has died, oh, well, you know, you've done it now. But why? Why? They were a huge part of your life. They uh, either created you or part of your family. Why would you magically never think about them again or be over it. You wouldn't say that about a child, so why would you say that about the loss of someone when they're, you know, mm. they are the opposite ends of the scale,
1: basically. I mean, I think we're finding it less weird to talk about it now societally, aren't we? Yeah. But it, it, is, but it is an odd thing.
3: It's definitely changing. I mean, I, you know, I'm sure you feel the same way. Like, there's stuff that's talked about now on telly and in comedy that 10 years ago, yeah. and I remember I used to watch a lot of cartoons as a kid and, like, sort of like Tex Avery mm. stuff, and there was always, oh, you know, Warner Brothers stuff, there was always a joke about the therapy. There was always cartoon Therapist, there was a tiny man that would you know it was probably actually now i think about it horrifically antisemitic now i'm thinking about it but he would always make them sit on a sofa like that yeah. may hold your feeling and it would always be a joke that this person and the idea of you know therapy in the 20th century was this a, a Very frightening thing that what is this? What will happen? And now we're sort of at the end of that journey where it's like, yeah, you know, death is talked about. Mental health is talked about way more. I know so much more about my friend's mental health than I ever did. My mum's always saying, like, oh, everyone's bloody got anxiety now. Everyone's bloody got it. Because I was That's like, mum, Yeah, I said, mum, I've got anxiety. She's like, well, I don't know anyone who hasn't got it. Well, how comes everybody's got it? And I was like, well, because I think we all had it and yeah. no one gave it a name. Those
0: <laughs> <laughs> comedians were the first people who made me aware that it was okay to talk about mental health. Yeah. Because of, i certainly growing up more problematic stuff. But Woody Allen was I a was huge just going to say but the so other one me, problematic, but yeah, totally. Schultz, Peanuts. Yeah, Peanuts. Are Lucy, so bleak. Lucy had peanuts. her little therapist booth, and she yeah, talked to yes. about, And she was a shit therapist. Yeah. But he still was going for. Someone said that about Peanuts. Said, "What a genius idea that was to write a, a children's or a family comic strip about a child with long-term chronic depression." Yeah. I went, oh, that's what it's about. and yeah. I used to read Peanuts and go, "That's how I feel," and I hadn't seen that represented anywhere else. And it was sadness. And it, but it was
3: hidden it like that's how you it was always hidden and like that's how you feel as a kid sometimes
0: totally but
3: so that's made it safe but never was like that's how adults feel i always felt yeah. it was like oh yeah it's hard being a kid sometimes rather than it's hard being a human yeah. <laughs> like he's lonely <laughs> Charlie Brown is lonely, like some people are lonely. He
1: doesn't have friends. Yeah, uh, people yeah. are
3: mean to him for no goddamn reason. <laughs> and then he has to be friends with them again.
1: I so suppose there is a there's a thing here, isn't there, about it's possible to project, you know, 10, 15 years into the future and say there might be some comedies which we're eventually going to regard as unacceptable because what because what's happened is that the person has accidentally written someone with a mental health issue. Oh yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, a bit like if you yeah. look at Forty Towers and you go, yeah. Okay, if so if people who have anger management issues, if that yeah. ever becomes a red hot fucking Topic. Yep. That show will not be repeated. You know, I think there's so many disappear. shows
3: that or like we said, this point we're hitting now. Because and I think it's totally century-based. Like we're moving into the 21st century. So of course 20th century things start looking really weird because it's the same as being, you know, imagine being in 1918 and looking back to like 1850, yeah. be like, what were those guys doing? Like, <laughs> you know, it's the same. We are the Victorians of our generation because we lived in that bit. Yeah. You know, so I always get obsessed with that. Like we're the end of a century, so we're always going to hark back to that century.
1: Well, obviously, we talked about death,
2: and yes. you, you
1: brought onto Rule of Three the concept of death.
2: <laughs>
1: no. Oh, no, i tell you what, I'm going to go back to something you said about things that you discover at a certain age which, which come to mean so yes, much to you. Yes, yes. Uh, and to that I have to say thank you for bringing this thing onto Rule of Three, oh. because I taped loads of these and watched them again and again yeah. and again and I can still repeat vast chunks We're of talking the thing about you on. <laughs> and you have brought on
3: Whose Line Is it Anyway hey! <laughs>
0: the most dated title sequence oh, of all
3: time but i still think it captures the show in a really good way right, right. that a lot of title sequences don't these days <laughs> i get quite into title sequences some 90s things are awful but i've i've got well obviously i've got softness for well. i love who's anyway yeah so i was the same i used to record who signs anyway every friday night um, on our vhs and i think we used to also record gladiators so sometimes i wasn't allowed to stay up and watch that as well so saturday morning was just the best because me and my brother would get up and we'd watch Gladiators and then we'd watch Who Lines Anyway and I watched it obsessively. I just, I think, it was the first time I'd ever seen improv or impro. Yeah.
1: Which is it by the oh. way? That was one of my questions. Is it improv or improv?
3: So, it's very political in the is improvisation it? community. Yeah, it's oh, really well, pathetically political. Great. I refuse to get involved. Basically, the father of UK improvisation is a man called Keith Johnston. He's at the Royal Court in the 60s and all our came out of um, theatre games and the theatre workshop that he set up here and then eventually he moved to Canada. He used to
0: call it theatre sports.
3: Theater, he invented theatre sports which was like amazing idea he wanted to create an atmosphere like a football match or a boxing match and people improvise against each other in teams and there's judges and trying to make that because he really believed that if you could make it sporting you know more people would come to it and yeah. you could root for your team so he wrote this book called Impro in America you have um, Viola Spolin and Del Close and they set up the second city theirs comes much more from comedians and comedy and sketches whereas ours is it started at the royal court so ours is much more theatrical they called it improv we called it improv anyway so someone said it's an accent thing if you think about it, English says you would say improvisation so improvisation so it'd be weird you don't really say hit the v in the same way they the V's do the
0: the second half of the word in English yeah. and it's been so in that's why half. we
3: did improv but now you get honestly it's so political like some people get really like I call it improv now just because it's sort of fashionable but then one of my like mentors in improv was like how would you feel if everyone demanded you call it The Sidewalk like why she's like it's American why well, I think
0: you're coming from a comedy background as well yeah. so you can have the comedy bit of it can't it you it just
3: became like I when I started it was improv completely improv yeah. then everyone just started calling it improv and I was like whatever it's making stuff up like who gives a <laughs> shit like I'll just call it what it like what's the easiest way to communicate what I'm doing yeah. if I say improv you, you, I think people now go oh yeah I know what you mean yeah. but yeah I, <laughs> like it's making stuff up and when we say people invented it they didn't no one invented making stuff up that's no. no. been happening for thousands of years so yes. it's a
0: codified thing I was reading about about Johnson last night and the thing that occurred to me while I was reading it which hadn't occurred to me about improv, it coming from a theatrical background yeah. is that when he invents improv improv Impro. impro. He'd say impro, when he Keith improv, would say impro, Yeah. You're in a period in Britain where your scripts have to be submitted to the Lord Chamberlain. There's censorship. Yeah, yeah. So the easiest way of doing whatever the hell you like on stage around the time when you're about to do hair and things like that yeah. is to say we don't have a script. Yeah. And it's quite, quite a revolutionary thing when theatre is so controlled by the government to say it's quite subversive to say what are you going to do tonight? We don't know.
3: Yeah. It was very radical at the time. You know, the Royal Court was a like very radical place of exciting mm. things, and. You know, some of those ga- those Who's Line style games, which is what we call short form impro. That's what Who's Line is, is short form. So, yeah. there's you know, it's little sketches as opposed to long form, which is what I do with Ostentatious or Showstopper. It's yeah. a, a longer narrative. You know, it was a bunch of actors at the Royal Court. And literally, when you read his book, Impro, they would just try stuff out. And he would just be like, well, is it funny if you do this or is it funny if you try, if you don't know who everyone is at the party, is that funny? And it was more, it was never about comedy for him. For Keith, it was always about freeing the actor, finding truth, like a really pure kind of theatrical experience. Mm. And then obviously as it goes on, people go, Oh, actually, if you make it party quirks and you do this and you make them, they have to be the prime minister, you can make this properly funny as opposed to some actors dicking around. Yeah. And some of it's just parlor games that I think existed anyway. I mean, it's a, you know.
1: That's what Whose Line um, basically was, wasn't it? It's a series of parlor games. It's
3: a total series of parlor games, but coming from the, yeah, the improvisation school of like some of those. So some of those games I think are just like questions only. Must just be a parlor game. I can't believe that that wasn't around, like, only you know, when you're only allowed to ask a question. But then, games like um, Genre Roller Coaster, or or they call it film and theatre style, it's like that is a, as far as I know, a short form comedy game that was invented for the purpose, the medium of improvisation. Like, I doubt, I don't know if you
0: would have done that in Victorian times. But no, that's almost like being in a band and being able to do cover versions of yeah, things. Yeah, exactly. It's, you should be able to play in various styles. It's yeah. pastiche, isn't it? And it's, it's keeping your muscles flexed. If yeah,
3: you're yeah. And some, like, some improvisers are, are better than others and some are better at the singing. And so, like, everyone has different, different skills they can bring to the short-form table.
4: That's rather unlucky in Peckham, isn't it? <laughs> OK, going to Hollywood epic. But the Peckham I speak of, of course, is not the peckham of south london the peckham
1: i speak of is the peckham of my family my forefathers
4: no more claudius <laughs> you speak of hubs and pipes of which you know nothing <laughs> <laughs>
0: Before you saw Who's Line, did you think about performing at all? Or was it the first performance style that you'd seen that you went, oh, I, I want to do that?
3: My parents were very amazing. They took us to the theatre like, from when I was like four years old. So I used to go to the theatre a lot. We watched a lot of comedy, but I honestly didn't know that comedy was a job. Even after watching <laughs> Who's Line for, like, I mean, is it? That's another <laughs> podcast. But like, <laughs> I would watch Who's Line and it never occurred to me that I would be allowed to do that. I thought these were very special, talented people. And like, I was so, I just honestly felt grateful I was allowed to watch it. I was
0: like, God, I'm just so glad I got to see that. When I'm older, I want to be in this audience.
3: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I wanted to be at the RSC. I wanted to be a serial. I thought oh, that's right. what proper performing was. I didn't, I'm, you know, my brother was obsessed with comedy. I have such a good background of comedy. is for him because he, he got me into Red Dwarf and Blackadder and Monty Python. and. But Whose Line was the first thing that I think he liked, but I loved like that was my Hmm. I think it was the first thing that was mine that I really was like I want to record it whereas my brother was more like yeah sure we'll watch it but it wasn't Blackadder which honestly he could you know recite every single episode for <laughs> but then it wasn't till I went to uni and we did an in-pro show there with Sarah Pascoe my very good friend uh I want to say best friend someone laughed at me the other day for saying that they're like what you 16 <laughs> are we allowed to keep best friends <laughs> yeah I was like oh is that funny anyway my best friend Sarah Pascoe and I did a show at uni and that's when I was like oh maybe I could do this maybe I could because I knew it back to fucking front they didn't have to teach me a single game I was like yeah I know know, I've watched it so much I know how to play them I know what's better and what is good when Ryan does this or Colin does that so that was the first time at uni that I was like oh maybe I would be allowed. That's interesting
0: because we talked about uh, this a lot and obviously we're writers and a lot of people we talk to on this podcast you say I watched this and I learned how to do it because you learn by listening to uh, LPs over and over again or, or watching videotapes again and again you learn the rhythms of it whether you're an actor or a writer or whatever the thing you like and where do you think about Who's lying? And you go, well, it's not a script you can learn or anything. It's not got that Monty Python (laughs) repeating thing. But weirdly, you'll learn how they're doing those tricks by watching them.
3: Because short form, like, to be fair... I love short form but sometimes it is a series of tricks and if you watch a lot of Who's Line you know you do see patterns emerge but that's not to denigrate any of the improvisation they are genuinely making it up it's just I think the thing people get confused with it's not that there is a plan but the same as if you're writing a script you know okay A plus B that would be funny if it's C and the same with improv like if you've said A and I've said B well I'm hoping you're going to say C because I know how comedy works
0: you're passing a ball around it is is theatre sports it is literally you know know how to get into space to receive the ball I'm really good at sport metaphors. I'm amazing at them. I'm going to do them a whole time.
1: Well, I had to, we, we had to write to a friend of ours the other day to say, could you help us describe football, please? <laughs> we were having trouble with it.
0: We had an amazing experience on, I think it was on Michelin Web, where uh, John Dryden Taylor, who was on the on the writing team, had written a football sketch. Wow. And he wasn't on set. And everyone else was on set. So they were about, I like, imagine... 12 or 13 men on set <laughs> none of whom like sport all trying to work out a, of course
3: because you were doing a, a sketch show those I, are I, not the sports guys no, <laughs> I, I said, no, no, John John's yeah. script
0: said David chips a confident ball into the box and they went and, and what would that be they <laughs> 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 had to phone him chips? and he had to, dis- had to yeah. describe it over the phone because the director yeah. didn't know and no one
1: There was a nice, um there's a nice one in one of the early episodes of Who's Line, where Stephen Fry, who I didn't realise was meant to be a yeah. full time part yeah. of the thing, and Stephen Fry, who you don't think of as an improviser, do no, you? No,
3: I know. And there's lots of bit. Jonathan Price, Jonathan
1: Price is really great. There's yeah. a God, there's a bit where he's where he basically does a little Godo yeah, scene with. Yeah. I can't remember who it's with now. Is it with John Sessions? With Sessions? Sessions will do. Sessions, John. Sessions. Is in
3: the early and ones as Jonathan well. Jonathan yeah. Price
1: almost does nothing. Yeah. He just moves and just nods and looks sad. And I never. I never liked him it's as a kid so I have to say
3: because he didn't do the, obviously it's really I think that's very subtle adult humour as a kid I was like where's his funny face yeah. <laughs> why is he doing a voice <laughs> that man's rubbish he nothing to the yeah, party I was like oh, he's not funny but, but a, now a, you see what he's doing is, is
1: beautiful it's great isn't yeah, it um, yeah. so there's a nice revealing thing in one of the Stephen Fry is asked they're playing
4: World's Worst now this next game is called the World's Worst better come forward on the World's Worst step there ready to step forward with the world's worst thing to say when being introduced to a member of the royal family. So just as you think of them, I'll buzz when I've got the idea. World's the worst person to be or thing to say.
1: Fry comes forward twice. Um, and the first time he comes forward, he says. <laughs> What's some skull on that bit. <laughs>
4: <laughs> Sorry. I didn't say Very I didn't say
1: that. I didn't say that. No, it's odd. In fact, I didn't say that. It's very odd. <laughs>
2: I'm sorry.
1: Sorry. (laughs) Um, And he's obviously reaching for something right over the other side of the taste barrier. But the second time he comes forward, he says, That um, that reminds me, I must buy a stamp and there's something so nice about going when you're in this situation you've got so many places yeah, you can reach to yeah. find the gag but
3: it's almost like being in a writer's room isn't it yeah. like when you're in a writer's room where you're writing with someone and you can just keep you know that fun bit where you just keep suggesting punchlines until yeah. both of you hit a weird point where you're like oh that's not funny but we found it funny yeah. and that's the thing with improv you can just especially with short form you can just keep hammering stuff <laughs> I always say this when people say to me oh I don't know is improv relevant I'm like list any of your favourite American comedy film person they all did improv Second Second
0: City Second
3: City UCB the IO they have you know um, huge schools in New York Chicago is the home the big home of it Um, but there's schools in New York Chicago LA like every big city in America has an improv theatre that's why in the American office you can make a joke about him going to improv classes which I tell you what killed me because (laughs) I when you know he like gets he always gets the gun and shoot someone like that is that is improvisers writing that that is pure (laughs) improv jokes that you have to have done classes to get and they can put that on a quite big show because they know that people will know that reference you wouldn't be able to do that here because we don't Mm. ours comes from theater so it comes from a much more rarefied background not as accessible to everyone theirs was much more like anyone can do it you pitch up above a bar you do a show and, and that's it And that's why You're now watching it Going oh that reminds me Of Bridesmaids Or you know Will Any of Will oh, Ferrell's Because tap, for like, say, yeah, that, all, That's they're your They're all improvisers That's your
0: Your sort of Beginning of the wellspring Of, yeah. of what became American comedy And we so You went through to the office And we yeah. came back We sold them that Loose performance style Back Yeah I know It's that incredible they, That Christopher Guest And that gang had given us It just occurred to me, it never occurred to me before, the writers, you said that that the world's worst is a writer's room exercise. Those American writer's rooms, I imagine, are full of people who've done improv.
3: They all are. They all, like, I, I think you get, well, Tina Fey writes about it really good in Body Pants and she writes about um, the writer's room for 30 Rock where she was saying, like, you need a mix of, like, the sloppy improvisers and the, you know, Harvard Lampoon guys. Yeah, yeah. So, that you, so you do get that balance and those references. But I often feel, you know, I do, I do writing and I love doing it. I love writing on my own, but... If we had a system of writer's rooms, I would enjoy my job so much more. <laughs> because I are, work better that
0: there way. There are loads of British people who don't thrive in a writer's yeah, room. We yeah. really enjoy the writer's room. Because in the writer's room, no one's looking. I can perform.
3: Yeah, And yeah. I will throw
0: ideas out all the, all the time. Uh, and I enjoy doing that. And I think they, they're always talking about saying, why can't we import the American writer's room system? And we've always said money it's too expensive. It's, well, also, but actually, I don't think we've got the experience. Everyone is used to sitting in an attic just yeah. typing in this country.
3: I think it's about... Uh, this is I think it's about credit I think they come from this world where Im- improv the grand ethos is improv is if I look good you look good we're yeah. all in this together uh, my job is to make sure you guys do well that's the job of an improviser whereas we come from again that theatrical background the cult of the writer the artist the playwright so I think we have a much more a man goes off by himself maybe two men go off by themselves <coughs> and they write that then they bring it back and it it, that's done. That's the process. It's a
0: Galton and Simpson. Yeah, the people like, who invented the history. comedy rights from this country were Associated London Scripts. Yeah. So it's Eric Sykes, Johnny Spake, Galton and Simpson, yeah. Eddie Braben. They go off and they bring the thing back and have a nervous breakdown trying yeah. to deliver 13 scripts of course, a cause year. Of because it's
3: like, in, like... And when you talk to Americans about it, they're like, it's insane that one person does that. You know, like, wh- how could one person do that? And then you watch sitcoms you love, and you're like, yeah, episode five was a bit... It, they're tired. Yeah. Why? Like, I just... I find, and I think I've been involved in people trying to get writers rooms here. And every time it's come up is people have got very funny about credit. Well, how will I get paid properly for that? Is it my joke? Rather than having yeah. this much better, we, you all get paid the same because the product is what mattered. It Because we come from, I write by myself, I get the money, I get the credit. And I don't yeah. think we've quite switch, which maybe we don't have to, maybe that's an English way of doing it and that's brilliant and should be preserved. But it's frustrating for someone who I definitely feel like I work better in a way that isn't commonly here. Mm. That
0: hadn't occurred to me at all that improv would be key to how you could take the South Park Writers Room full of people, take all those Mm. jokes and then go off, type it up, and it belonged to Parker and Stone. Yeah. Because everyone's there to make them look good.
3: Everyone's there to make them look good. And also, if you think about the thing about improv, it's super cheap, right? Anyone can do it. So you don't need to even film something, right? A A bunch of teenagers can go to their local school hall after school and do a class and muck around with their friends and learn how to be funny. And that's what's happening in, especially in Canada, massive. They do it in school in Canada and wow. all over America. So those teenagers, rather than like maybe go round to their mates and play football they go out and do improv so then they get really good at making up stuff on the spot whereas say if our teenagers into comedy perhaps they go away and they write by themselves because that's what's available to them Well they
0: learn a stand-up routine
3: they learn stand-up yeah like our stand-ups are, you know that's the other thing I think is interesting you compare like the Americans I met like are very intrigued by Edinburgh and that you have an hour and it's a story which I love I love an Edinburgh hour but they don't really have that they have your five for late night with Seth Meyers and your 20 for you know really tight sets that are not narrative they're a series of jokes because they're good at just going gag, 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 gag whereas I think again we have this intrinsic want to tell a story which is slightly different
1: When you do long form like Ostentatious is there a lot more preparation in it? Do you need to sort of roughly know the shape of what you're going to do before you get on stage?
3: No, it's... (sighs) it's just, it's a different skill. You have to just be able to hold a story together for longer. So if you think about like um, Who's Line, there's lots of, like when they do film and theatre styles, you know, they might get a mini story and that story lasts two minutes. Essentially, it's a sketch. It's sketch versus sitcom. So, when you come to your Ostentatious, you're, you're thinking in more sitcom or play, really. We do a comedy play. Right. So you're just trying to make sure you can hold a narrative in your head. And that comes, I would say, from doing it. Like, so, I, you know, all of us in that show have been doing it, like, 10 years, basically, improvising. Wow. We've been doing the show for seven. So we've got very good.
2: The novel we will be performing
3: this is Jane Austen's beautiful novel. That's not Alan! <laughs>
1: to grow into the man you wish I was. Eternity. Are you alright? Yes. Do you like a glass of water? No. Good. (laughs) I wouldn't have got you one.
3: (laughs) it's live writing is what people often compare it to so instead of being able to go oh I'm not sure what happens in the next act we have to do it now and we have to fix our mistakes as we go so rather than you know if you two are sitting down writing you can be like oh I don't think she should have done that in act three she should have stayed we have to at the end of the interval have to be like oh she's changed her mind she's doing this because you suddenly realise oh actually the story needs her to fall in love with him now not but she'd already said she loved him maybe we should (laughs) yeah just let's have a sit and that's when I'm saying that that's all that's happening in your head we never communicate we are genuinely improvising but as a group you have like a group sense of story yeah yeah it is you, it you, is know, jazz. you know
0: the riffs and the chord yeah. sequences that you can use that when you lean back on each other it sounds incredibly stressful
2: <laughs> <laughs> it but really I, does
3: it's funny I find writing much more stressful because I feel like there's a pressure of like what you you thought that was good. (laughs) You actually took the time to write it down, print it out and then show it to me. Whereas if I'm improvising, it's like, well, I'm improvising. So of course it's a bit rough and ready. Like I find writing way more pressured and stressful (laughs) because I I feel like the world is like, you actually took the time to do that.
0: You bothered. You bothered. I was going to ask about this because one of the things that I associate who's on it, is it anyway, this is going to sound insulting. I don't mean it because I remember thinking, even as a kid watching it, is the cringe that there's sometimes they propose a game that you go, oh, this is going to be bad. They're going to make John Sessions do a reggae song. Oh,
4: God. Now, the next game is called uh, Rap. It involves all four contestants, and what they have to do is simply to... It's a lovely game, this, isn't it, Stephen? Stephen does this on his own anyway. in private, but in public, yeah, they all do four together and they have to improvise a rap based on a subject selected now by the studio audience. So a nice broad topic for them to devise a rap run. You know what the rap music is. And
0: it? that cringe is so you go, oh, don't fail. Oh, I can yeah. see all the ways you're going to fail. And then suddenly something unfurls out of it. Even John Sessions doing reggae that you go, that's so much better than I was expecting Yeah. that the rush of endorphins, the relief. Oh my god, yeah. When I think I watched the first, the first broadcast uh, whose line and it's Josie Lawrence and Richard Branch step into doing a time. oh wow and they hit it and they both just effortlessly do yeah. a brilliant piece of Sontime. and I my every- so the one where she's singing marry me Harry marry, marry me, me. Oh, isn't that all one, internal yeah. rhymes and loops and things it's oh. brilliant because she knows her sontime yeah. it's she's comfortable in he's really good at playing and he's really good pastiche but the two of them hit this thing and I think the second before it happened every bit of my body was tense
4: yeah mm. What am I going to do? When will Harry come and see me and marry me? Harry, marry me! Can you
0: hear me sing, Harry? I just want you to ring, Harry.
2: Oh, my
4: telephone's lonely. No one will phone me.
0: the relief because of what you're saying I think the expectations weirdly are very very low Yeah. because the audience don't know how good everyone is well,
3: yeah I think especially when Who's Line must have come out on telly is the first time you're seeing like improv like that so it must have been like yeah. well, there's no yeah. way anyone can do that to make up a sort, and then you watch it and go oh yeah they they can <laughs> you know and there's like there it's so an many- evil
0: Knievel. you're watching the, yeah. the rocket cycle approach the edge of the cliff going they're going to explode and then they don't because
1: they, they practice. and that was and, episode one doing Sondheim I yeah. mean that is a fucking high bar. <laughs> sometimes is not easy to pastiche, no. okay. you know.
0: So one is sometimes, and then into the, into the John Sessions reggae and we're already. I mean, to be honest, I was worried he'd get Dan Aykroyd's hat from Trading Places and put R- it on.
1: He R- didn't. Richard Franch never actually appeared as one of the four people on Whose Line, no. did he? Despite the fact so that he's a, he's a, he's an improviser of many, yeah, many yeah. years' experience. So the,
3: the, the, the slight political history, I should say, of Whose Line is that they were already doing the show. The comedy store players existed before Whose Line. Yeah. So that's where Kind of where it, it came from. So they were, you know, the original comedy store players who are too numerous to mention, but a, m- a lot of them, like JC Lawrence and Paul Merton and, and Neil Mal- Neil Malarkey and Neil Last I think they Jim helped. Sweeney, yeah. St- uh, Steve Frost, Steve Sting, like yeah. Steve Steen, like,
0: smart people. Like
3: that. <clears throat> and yeah, there's there's bloody loads of them. <laughs> um, but sorry, I will have forgotten someone. But they were doing it at the comedy store, and they were rock stars. You know, it was starting to pack out every Wednesday and Sunday, and it's still going I think they're into a 33rd year wow. consistently doing this show
0: you've done it haven't you
3: yeah you, you, so I'm guests. a I'm a I would now I think they'd let me say I'm a regular guest Fantastic. with them yeah yeah um, because they've been going so long it takes quite a while to become a, a reg Do you know what I mean like yeah, yeah. you think you've done it for a year they're like yes yeah, so I what we've been doing it are, you, are you the new
0: guitarist in the Rolling Stones <laughs> yeah exactly
3: <laughs> so yeah myself Pippa Evans Ruth Bratz David Reed Lauren Shearing has done it as well so we're sort of like they're they're very kind and they were like, we're getting old. We thought we'd better get some new people in. Um, and then they're very sweet because it's the only time in comedy I feel young. Because, <laughs> because obviously mostly when you do comedy or when you're gigging, everyone's like these fucking 19, 21 year olds and you think, oh, geez, like they're saying stuff and you're like, I've got a mortgage and a baby. I cannot relate to what you're talking about right now. But in the comedy store players um, dressing room, I'm on my phone on Instagram and they all say oh she's like a teenager what are you doing Cariad she's not listening to us and I'm like god I feel like I feel so young um, but yeah they were already doing the show and then that's kind of how whose Line happened as ever it was a very successful show and telly kind of went whoa but then obviously being telly not all the comedy store players ended up as main players so they
0: get I mean it, it's on radio it's Stephen Fry and John Tessions are the regulars right? Yeah, and Stephen Fry doesn't says he he can't come over and persuade Sessions to go over to the TV version. So the anchor there is is Sessions, and then they put in Josie Lawrence and a couple of Comedy Store people, yeah. and then go looking for Americans. I think it's almost like they're attempting to dilute it to stop it being the Comedy Store Players TV show.
3: I I mean yeah perhaps I don't know all the ins and outs of it,
1: but yeah. perhaps. And but I know they, they, Richard, Richard is a broad, a, yeah,
3: cast. and Richard is a great improviser, but he could do the music, so he was the one who could who could. Improvising time on the gr- piano. He's a
1: great musician.
0: He's a great as well. musician. A yeah. yeah. In said they replaced him with three people for the American version of wow. Who's Line. It required three musicians to do the job yeah. that Richard Ranch could do on his own.
3: Yeah, I'm not surprised. So it's a yeah. very like I can imagine. I'm sure it must have been a difficult time.
0: Well, that happened to Archie <clears throat> Harm was supposed to be for Saturday Night Live, I think.
3: Oh, really? He's one of the guys
0: who was up for the original lineup of SNL and didn't do it. Wanted to do more theatre and ended up being an improviser and then ends up being the first, probably the first American who's on the. British yeah, life. yeah. it was Mike McShane first? No, McShane's later. It's Archie Hahn first. Right. Because he's there's a great bit in, in the very early episode where he's introduced by Clive Anderson who goes, from Spinal Tap, because obviously Archie Hahn plays a tiny bit by Spinal <laughs> Tap, and everyone in the audience you can see thinks it's Christopher Guest. <laughs> and they think they've got this amazing booking who's going to yeah. outclass everybody. But yeah, he's, he's great. I like the Americans being in. in-
3: I have to say, I... My favorite when of Whose Line era, because it did go for such a long time, mm. is when you get the really nice balance of, yeah, you know, the Ryan stars Colin Mockery yeah, with great. the Josie Lawrence and the Tony Slatteries and, you know, yeah. Steve It's Ross the mixture and all that. of improv and improv. Yeah, it is. It, very good. Yeah. I really, and I I had, I adored. Ryan Stiles like I just thought he was the funniest man that had ever existed he's great isn't he His, and as a kid obviously we're talking about things you miss because he did such physical comedy it was so easy to get whereas I knew like especially with Sessions you'd be like I don't know what that was a reference I to I haven't
1: read any Hemingway yes. <laughs> oh, yeah
0: but actually I thought this I think that I don't, I haven't read any Hemingway, but when I have to do pastiche Hemingway, I think I'm doing John Sessions. Yeah,
1: yeah, He's one right, yeah. of people
0: like Monty Python that like I learned about all these great yeah. authors by his pastiche She went, right, he's lots of Spain. He
4: knew that the river came round in the middle of the course, which was a shame because it was a racehorse, but it didn't matter, it didn't matter a cuss, it didn't matter a damn because he knew what his father had told him about, it was no uh, cogida. No Kegida for the horse or for him. The horse went along and then it went down a bit, and then it came up a bit. And then if you looked at it from the other side, it went down a bit, a bit more. That is what we call in Spain, Arumia.
0: (laughs) I think Sessions' pastiches opened up a load of high culture to me that was completely Yeah, closed. he's
1: how I hear Shakespeare. That, <laughs> that thing in the first series where he's doing, Faith, might I pair thee like a quince. And I go, that's, you know, that's yeah. how Shakespeare sounds to me. Yeah. But it's not, it's John Sessions. It's, when
3: it's a perfect impression. It's a bit like, do you remember when John Coleshaw used to do Tony Blair all the time? And then yeah. everybody's impression was John Coleshaw, not yeah. Tony Blair.
0: Someone unlocks it. Someone yeah. finds the key. Exactly,
3: find the key. And it was like, it was like oh, well, that's let's just do that the
0: other person who could do Shakespeare like that with that rhythm is Peter Cook and they get yeah. Peter yeah, Cook on yeah. almost as someone who Peter Cook I always got the feeling probably doesn't like writing things down it's no, too that's why you get Derek and Clive and there's yeah. all the improv and the looseness that's in Pete and Dud he's sort of the spiritual godfather of going up on stage not knowing what you're about to say yeah yeah of the, all those British comedians and they get him on And watching Peter Cook and that, and and I only found out recently, he's absolutely pissed.
4: We'll be discussing the topic of smoking. I'm terribly sorry I'm late, but I got, um, (laughs) I got delayed because, uh... I was smoking and my boa caught fire. Your boa caught fire, yeah. That does illustrate one of the dangers of smoking and indeed... And and one the of dangers, the perils of boas. Uh, boas, yes, indeed. Yeah.
0: Apparently, the four o'clock run-through, <laughs> he was the most astonishingly astute, sharp mind. They went, God, he's not lost a bit. And then Rory McGrath took him out for a couple of pints to steady his nerves. Oh, geez. And he comes back. But he's great very good it. in yeah. it, though. But he doesn't know what he's doing. You can hear him slurring. He can't get the words in order.
4: Um, could I ask you your name? Could I Sorry? ask your name? I your name? Could I yes, ask your of name? course you can. Yes. yes. Well, I'll do that now. Uh, what is your name? Yes. Um, Arthur. Yes, sir, Arthur. Yes, sir, Arthur. Yes, yes, you're, you're an Arab gentleman, are you? Uh, what? An Arab gentleman, are you? No, I'm a married gentleman. A married gentleman. Yes. But, uh, uh, if you later. want me to be Arab, I, of course, will, you know. Yes. Uh, no, this is just a religious thing I wear. Yeah. And I'll just, I'll just talk to somebody else who yes, might, I would who might you. talk English uh, better than you do. Mm-hmm. Um,
3: I didn't love it when it was all English people. I don't know. I think yeah. I really loved when, like, McShane and Proops and, yeah, Ryan and Colin, like, I... Proops that's not is t-
0: brilliant, isn't he? He's it, amazing. And it? that's it not, not to denigrate the
3: English people. I just loved it when you got that mix because I found it when... When those earlier series, when it was, and I don't mean to say it, but when it was four very sort of cerebral men, I was I was like, ugh, you know, it's just okay. Game. Well, you and you get they call, they sort of joke about British improv it's like two white men facing each other not moving their arms. Like <laughs> <laughs> which I've heard a lot before and like so you know when when Josie's there and she's singing and it's just that different energy and that's what I felt Ryan and Colin they brought this energy that for me especially as a teenager I was like oh you don't have to reference Hemingway for it to be funny even though I know I'd always feel like yeah I get it I know what you're doing but when you know Ryan and Colin would just be the silliness that I just and I felt like it popped the pomposity of what that show sometimes had it could
0: be it did look like it's weird you're talking about it 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 comes to call my
3: bluff almost isn't it Of panel yeah. games, yeah.
0: John Sessions' attitude would have suited uh like a nineteen seventies or sixties oh, panel game, perfect. like the My Music or something. Yes. Or call yeah, My yeah, yeah, There's a certain sort of mm, yeah. fruity dissembling Donald Sindonness to him. And there's a certain
3: oh, very good, yeah. Oh yes, I polite see. round of applause. I love, and there's Whitty nothing pastiche. wrong with that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's what you know, we're asking for. I love just a minute as much as anyone else, but like. That, that energy that the Americans and Canadians bought I think really shook it up and made it go somewhere just gave it this real and it, I think it made the British people funnier because yes. it had to be on their toes they couldn't sit back and go you know what, I'm just gonna throw out a fucking Shakespeare reference and that's I'll get round of yeah. applause it did, they it did made raise them, their game didn't yeah they? it made them raise their game and I, I love watching people being pushed to their that, again
1: that is basically that's the kids at the back of the funeral yeah, isn't it? because the yeah. stakes are so fucking yeah. high <laughs> that if I make you laugh now I'm gonna burst something yeah. you know I'm actually gonna do some damage but I
3: I love that, right? What I thought they bought was it was um, a gentle energy as well. Yeah. So, like, I think sometimes with English, and I have this as well, English humor can be so sharp. It's, it's you brittle, amazing. Yeah, it? we really know how to say a joke and destroy someone at the same time. And I feel like the Americans were able to, and the Canadians, to be fair, because they are equally brilliant improvisers, was bring this, like, a silliness, a gentleness.
0: And welcome to Bunk Copy, the show where we dig beneath the news for the tepid dirt underneath jack and jill went up the hill to fetch a pail of water that's the story here today kids water it's tragic and it happens we have with us <laughs> dr omar hamster cheeks doctor the only improv rule that i know is that is the don't say no one yeah, which to be yes honest and is what uh, yes and uh, which i think applies weirdly we just talked about it for the first time applies in writers rooms as well oh, i hate no be. lots of yes in writers rooms. Yeah. Please. As, as robert webb once said you're hosting a party don't be a dick <laughs> uh, and i think it's it there's lots of that in there the weird thing is that there are a couple of the british guys whose job is to say no paul merton says no yeah and what it's good it's very very funny because it breaks the rules of improv but weirdly he ends up commanding the stage because he's gone that isn't happening you're not really a werewolf and part of me went oh, and I sort of I bristle. Yeah. he's doing sort of bad improv yeah. he's allowed to be the no well, guy when
3: I used to teach improv I used to say when you do level one when you're teaching, you know, like the babies, you're like, never say no. It's always yes and, yes and. And then level two, they're like, what, can we never say no? And you're like, you have to get your no license.
1: Yeah. So it's like, you have
3: to be able to say no in a way that's helpful. And yeah. Paul, if you watch him, you're right. Like in, if you're being very technical, you'd be like, oh, well, you said no and you said you're not this. But if you look, he's... It always helps the scene. It's no and. So, yeah, it's no and, and but it, it can. I mean, this is so. T- improv is so technical, like, it's writing. So, when You've I'm come watching. Come to the him, right place. You're yeah, in a I space know. Here. Get
0: really <laughs> nerdy. You want phrases, terms. Okay.
3: When, when he's doing it, you can see it's taking the scene where the scene needs to go. So sometimes people, like, we call it going to crazy town. So it's like, oh, you know, it's just something that's so big and so huge the scene can't breathe. There can't be anything else but this person being a werewolf on acid meeting the queen. Like, <laughs> there's, that's too much. So if someone then knows it, I would say no and say because I know what I'm doing. Like, I yeah. know that I'm not, I'm not saying fuck off, get off the stage because that's what the no, a beginner no is. Yeah. I'm saying no to this door but can you come through this door with me? Yeah. Because this door is actually going to Help us get to the end of the scene.
0: No, Anne. Yeah. Weirdly, I always said that was the. Go back to the writers' room, which I know better. The really amazing writers' rooms I've ever been in have been run by people who do that, who say, come through this door instead. And there's a really gentle and pleasant way of saying, the joke you've just done is no earthly use to this room. Yeah, yeah. Have you thought about this joke and still make the person think it was theirs? They they did It would be impossible without the two of you. And it's an incredibly delicate collaborative process. And I think that writing in collaboration has loads in common with improv.
3: Oh, so similar. I think and it's, it's never so similar because it's that idea of yes and, like I said, it's live writing. So the idea is just like, we do this game, it's called like gift giving and you <laughs> someone mimes an object and then the, you have to act like it's the best thing. You're be like, Oh my God, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you so much. I can't believe you got me a cat. And then it's the other person's job who had the, mind the object to be like, yes, and the cat is also a fortune teller. So you've made something together, but you you start establishing what, it's called an offer in the scene, so it's the offer. You start realizing that offers are gifts. So rather than me being like, "Oh, have you thought about the joke being like this?" and you being like, "That's an interruption. That's not what I want. It's unhelpful." You start seeing that as, "Oh, thank you. I hadn't." So just by changing that in improv, you have a scene that's pleasant to watch that goes somewhere that goes, the story moves forward. Mm. And it's the same in writing, right? If someone yeah. in the if one character's like,
0: "No, I I don't," and, want I, that. I, and I claim ownership of this joke. Yeah. and If you change it, the it's scene not doesn't mine go
3: anywhere. The scene just literally stops whereas by treating it as a gift like oh thank you so much for this setup of a punchline. here's the punch like it just it's nicer to watch i mean it's funny as well because like whose line is a big Well, actually Clive doesn't. Clive rejects some suggestions and there used to be a thing in improv of like never say no to any suggestion. And now I'm like, I say no to suggestions because I'm now skilled enough to know that won't help me. Proctologist won't help me. Um, Prostitute won't help me. (laughs) You know, the the things that people in comedy clubs think are funny. And a good gauge of a good offer from an audience. If it gets a laugh, the scene won't be funny because the jokes already happened. Ah. So with Ostentatious, we get suggestions for a title. So sometimes not always but if something's a very funny title and the joke's already in there then it's like we don't need to do that show like it's
0: where the uh, the onion headline where all the jokes are in the headline yeah
3: yeah and then you don't need to read the article right Mm. because it's done so like to be fair I think we did this one but like Mansfield Jurassic Park it's like a great (laughs) title right but in a way you're like do I need to see that to know what's going to happen? Like the
0: funds in imagining the funds in imagining it, in imagining in it not it, yeah. existing. Mm.
3: Whereas, like you know, I remember that one of the best shows we have ever had was called with the, the title we got was Sly's new car. So boring, right? <laughs> what the fuck? It was so good because it was just the, there was no expectation about yeah. it. But then you yeah. know, the other day we did um, Regency Eye for queer eye for a Regency guy, which. Again, it's not, so you're not laughing, but you're going, going oh, I can see what's going to happen. And then it was a great show. Yeah, yeah. So you're like, oh, that's going to be a fun show. But the ones, and again, those offers that make people laugh instantly, you know, brothel. And it's always sexual as well, because people are just like.
1: There must be a danger in that the audience are going to try and be funny. Oh, yeah. Because that's sort of, that's not necessarily helpful.
3: Yeah. And having said, as I, you know, do the comedy still players still, those guys are in credible i'd say they're the best in the business of dismissing shit offers in a very graceful way because yeah. they've been doing it for 33 years so yep. they just have all these like wonderful like you know are oh, you in the wrong basement in soho sir like that's not very helpful like, it's up to us to be funny but they do it like no one's offended it's i watch it with fascination because i'm like you've told them to shut the fuck up but no one minded wow. like like really good teachers like really good a teacher that's able to control a room and you know all good stand-ups up. it's difficult as well with improv because it's It's changed now. So short form, the big thing with short form is like you'd have all these offers and that proves it's improvised. Like, look, they kind of made it up. They didn't know that we were going to get some time. We didn't know. And then long form, what's happening now is like there's much less need to get the offers from the audience. So with Ostentatious, we get one title at the beginning. That's it. And that's very popular in America as well. They do. They tend to get one word from the audience. That's it. So people
0: suspect then that you prepared it
3: more. So I don't think... They do, but what happens is... I, I guess it's like when stand-up or writing moves on. So, like, if it's your first time to a show, you're like, oh, they didn't ask me. Maybe they didn't make up. But, like, once you've watched it more than once, you're like, oh, they're still improvising.
0: Because things go wrong, I imagine. Yeah,
3: exactly. Things go wrong. And you can see people's faces are like, what the fuck did you just say? <laughs> That's um, where the, the joke is. But there's definitely... When I speak to the generation generation above me in improv, there's, like, a nervousness about it. of like, well, how will the audience know? Because they come from that who's line world of, like audience have to give every suggestion that proves we're making up and I would say the younger generation now is like fuck it if you don't believe it's made up I can't convince you it just is. Clive Anderson is
1: a Strange choice of host, isn't he?
3: <laughs> he really he is. He really is. But I've, I've actually done live Who's Line in Edinburgh. Have you? With Clive and Greg and like, yeah, which i never with Ryan or Colin, but with Greg was pretty cool and McShane and Josie. And um, he's so good at that role, but it is an odd choice, isn't it? And I know they think I re- like heard a documentary saying where they were saying, Everyone was a bit surprised at the time, I think, because he was. Well, he'd so he done it on the so radio. So yeah.
1: You see the pilot; he's sweating. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. his hands are—he's like, either he's shaking his hands or he's doing that thing called stimming, where you can't keep your uh, hands yeah, to you yeah, know, because yeah. you're fidgeting with, in, you know, invisible objects. Well,
3: also, it must have been difficult because the comedy store players, the show that you know it was very much based on, they didn't have a host; they just introduced no. the games themselves. So this is a very TV idea, I guess. So there must have been a nervousness at the beginning like, is this going to work with this yeah. man who's a lawyer? Yeah, <laughs> but it's also quite funny. I, what the show
1: needs is a barrister. Yeah, Give me a barrister.
3: But I, I, I loved Clive. And I have to say, one of the other things I loved about Who's Line was the ongoing feud with Greg, with Proops and Clive. I <laughs> yeah. just adore that. I adored how rude they were to each other when Greg would walk up to the camera and be like, Clive's, like, you know, Clive's not funny and I hate him, by the way. Let's do the scene. Okay, start. And then Clive would just be laughing. And they're still, they're like that with each other. I did a show with both of them. They still kind of like give each other shit, but a very loving, we've worked together. It's great, a very it's like adding time. a soap opera
1: yeah. on top of it, <laughs> isn't it? Oh, you know?
3: I, I loved, I mean, like, oh, I'm obsessed with relationships and what's happening. And I love that you could, I love that Josie and McShane loved each other. Like, you could oh, see when they, they yes. got up. Oh, man. They would just hold hands. They just hold hands, even they don't need to hold hands. And you'd feel the love. And McShane having is the most loving improviser I've ever worked with. Like, that man makes everybody look good. He Actually, you can
1: tell that right from the off. Right? Yeah. He, he arrives in the middle of the first series, I think, and he is so generous. Yeah, he,
3: he is incredible. And him and Greg like have known each other since college. Wow. So they've like known each other years and years and years. So they have like a very comfortable relationship. All credits of
0: Patterson and Levison. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. They cast this. Oh, the Brilliant. casting's it's amazing. It's cast. yeah, yeah. They're really good at pairing people off and finding relationships and yeah. sticking relationships, breaking up, trying new ones, pulling in people from different styles, yeah, from, yeah. Sort of, from, from LA and from New York and from Chicago dropping them in with the British people and finding these little teams of people or pairing people like Colin Mochrie and Ryan Styles who'd work together yeah. so you know that they won't be nervous And then you, it's really well co- Slattery the discovery of Slattery, oh, slattery. They yeah, we, we've got to oh. him we've got to him they discover oh. Tony, I they discovered Tony Slattery because Stephen I Fry says him. no and Stephen Fry's agent represents Tony Slattery and says I've got a guy who's a bit sort of from the same kind yeah. and they go oh, I'm not sure about this guy and he turns up and he is effortlessly slickly charming, funny, I, weird,
3: I fancy beautiful. I fancied him so beautiful. much. I but, thought he was the strangest creature. Like, I was like, who is this person? He was so beautiful. But also, Slattery breaks every rule. He laughs all the time. He's always out of character. He's always talking to the audience. <laughs> he argues with Kyivin. He's constantly... But again, you—it's such a naughty schoolboy. Like I just think he's his energy is incredible. Naughty in that show. is the word. Yeah, That's he's what so he is. Naughty. He's Very naughty. Yeah, very puckish, very naughty, cheeky. And again, I would say a very British energy that the yeah. Americans don't quite get because he—he has a real glint in his eye that I feel like he's the only one who has of like, yeah, we all know this is a very silly thing we're all doing, but it, <laughs> but aren't I doing it very well? Like I fancied him. That's, I mean, a lot of my crushes Every, are who's I like... I think everybody's fancy. Yeah, he was him, so they? glad. And he looked very cool at time, didn't he? Like, very fashionable for that yeah. era. This is yeah. great. I mean, if you want to check out some great 90s looks... Just watch one episode of it. It is incredible. And the audience. There's some terrific glasses in the audience. The giant jackets. (laughs) Everyone looks like David
0: Byrne. Oh, my God. When he does. I mean, he just big suits.
3: And the colours that really kind of like muted purples and greens that are only... You could only buy clothes like that in the 90s. Like, And actually now, because it's come back round. But yeah, there's some incredible... Josie's still got some of the outfits. She gave some to um, me and Pippa. And Pippa got... um, like one of her Who's Line outfits that like oh we God. have to play it cool with because I'm in a show with Josie now called Glenda J Collective, which is me, Pippa Evans, and Ruth Bat from Showstopper and Josie Lawrence as mm. an all female. Wow. and we just stick about really. It's not really a format at all, but sometimes she says stuff about Who's Line. And we all have to be pretend that we're not like the biggest geek fans ever. <laughs> so she was like, Oh, I've got this Who's Line outfit? And Pippa and I knew what episode it was from. Like we recognise it straight away. And
0: it's like the French and Saunders sketch where they're trying all the newsreaders' outfits. That's yeah. a leaming, that's yeah, eighty four. Yeah, yeah.
3: <laughs> and it was just like yeah, and she gave me a shirt that she wore on Who's Line and I was just like this is gold dust to me you know because <laughs> again we talk about you know the, the great British ones this latter is amazing but Josie you know there was other women on it but to have a woman on that show it was her and Sandy Tofswick were the yeah. two
0: sort of featured women oh. and,
3: and then think- eventually and then Caroline Quentin came along later yeah she has such a, a cheekiness I think a playfulness but also a real heart that I think you sometimes when the men are being very cerebral, she brings such emotion to the scenes. Like you care about the people she yes. plays in those scenes. Like you want her to be okay in the bar, or for like the hands through lady to make you. Like you really care about Josie in a way that you don't often care about some of the others. There's
1: a, a scene that that uh, she does where she's having to basically play sort of the female character from Brief Encounter, taking uh, a phone yeah, call, yeah. and she, and and she's talking you know in that lovely voice, and then and her bottom lip starts. Quick and it's a genuinely brilliant bit (laughs) of acting it's fantastic
3: I saw one I was watching the other day it was just her and Ryan doing film and theatre styles and Ryan Ryan's a real like he'll yes and everything that's why he's he'll just whatever you do he goes with it so they get the suggestion are they doing like a sci-fi and then they get um, you know something something really stupid western then they have to go into a weepy and Josie plays it like a weepy and then Ryan does too, and it becomes this like it's very silly, and they're sort of oh, darling, don't die, don't leave me, I couldn't bear it. But you really care. You start thinking, God, I hope they're all right. And you're like,
4: <laughs> okay, uh, some sort of weepy, a rather sad, you know.
0: Oh, Darling, don't die on me. You're my very life, my very soul. If you die,
2: I, I-, <laughs> I could never leave you. Leave you alone with the children.
0: I'd be jealous of the
1: angels up in heaven if you were to go. I will stay with you here forever.
3: (laughs) 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 That's a huge thing when you teach improv like gags are fine. And you must have this writing. Gags are fine, but ultimately if they care... And, and you've made a gag. You've That's the yeah. ultimate goal. And with yeah. Ostentatious, that's always what we wanted them. We wanted you to laugh throughout the whole show, but we want you at the end to give a shit if they yes. yes. get married or not. Yes. like that's And that's when we go, oh, it was a good show. We had an equal balance of emotion and funny. Because
0: there'll be a point where people are tired of laughing. Yes. Or you yes. This, we yeah. got asked to gag up a script recently. And the, the, I just phoned back nicely and politely said, you can't gag up a script we put more jokes on top of this they'll just lay on the top yeah and you won't be able to see what we need to do is take the script apart as quickly as possible yeah. work out why people don't care the reason I'm laughing yes, cause cause not laughing is because not there's care. not enough jokes is you don't know what's going on yeah you will either lack clarity or heart are the two things you're missing
3: and that's the difference between short form and long form because short form is such a quick scene so i oh i the weepy do i care about josie and ryan's oh okay fine something else is happened yeah. but long form i'm staying with those characters yeah. it does become a film or a play and I think that's what the more improv you do the more writing you do you start realising they'll laugh more if they care more whereas at the beginning you're like oh I'm just going to chuck any old gag and we call it like killing the scene there's gags that just it's funny but then the scene doesn't exist anymore because I've destroyed everything we've built up (laughs) so you're like yes and when you're teaching people are like yeah but look how much everyone laughed and you're like yes but can can this scene carry on and they're like yeah, she could still be my girlfriend. I'm like, no, because the way you spoke to her means she's not your girlfriend. It means I don't believe you.
0: That's an amazing thing. I don't believe you. I think there's a lot of, especially, God, you hear things occasionally. I did. When they they put the advert out, I got really cross. But Peter Kay's car share, Mm. entirely improvised. I went, oh, good. Oh, good. We've got rid of the writing now. Because apparently we don't need that anymore. I'm really cross about it. And actually, this has been fascinating talking about this because I think there's so much crossover between improvisation and good adept, fast, quick, collaborative writing that actually they are the same thing and you find this in, a, in a, if you're writing a script you'll have put a joke in like that killing your darlings thing that yeah. makes you piss yourself laughing and it's the first thing you realised on draft four you go that is absolutely holding this below yeah. the waterline because I need to care about these characters more than I need to laugh at that yeah. point. Which is heresy as a comedy writer. Yeah. But, it's, it, true. but then
3: it's I think they will laugh more and I know this because I improvise so I hear a, a very immediate laugh to what's happening in the story. So that's how I've learned. They laugh more and deeper when they care more. The laugh is different. It's like yeah. a quicker, when it's a quick gag that's destroyed the scene it's a real burst. It's a like, ha! Huh, and it's gone. And you feel like energy's gone, everything's gone and this scene needs to just end. We can't get it back. But when it's about relationships and characters and story... It's a softer laugh, but it it ma- it carries the scene forward, which carries the show forward. But it's forward.
0: not drama. That's what I think people get yeah. mixed up with something like, I'm trying to think of a really, uh, a Detectress, actually dynamite, yeah, yeah. unarguable comedy that is very gentle and gag light. It's not full of lines yeah. and quick ones. But, all the way through, you care. And it's and for a, the
3: relationships. And the people
0: love it. But I would say that it's miles from drama. People often mm. talk about it the wrong way. And they go, well, it's a sort of comedy drama. Like, no, it's not. It's a comedy. It's completely a comedy. There's nothing about the values of it that belongs to the world of drama. Everything about it is gentle and warm. Yeah. And you feel different watching it than you do watching Broadchurch. This is what yeah, comedy is. Yeah. Comedy is, there's loads of heart and relationship in in comedy yeah. even at the stage should, of going we're making up be? with Jane Austen off the top yeah. of our heads you still got to care of
3: course you massively have to care I mean, Jane Austen like the whole point you care you want <laughs> you want mm. Darcy and Lizzie to get together and there's some hilarious stuff in Jane Austen but you still want to get together and I understand this is the problem I think maybe in this country maybe I'm being unfair but in this country sometimes when they're like we're going to improv everything and that pisses off the writers but let me tell you it pisses off the improvisers because one they don't usually get improvisers in to do it they get people like you know comedians or actors who don't who don't aren't might be hilariously funny but aren't skilled in improv because improv in this country is not taken as seriously in comedy and I get a lot of things I get asked like oh just come in and improvise and I'm like Who's doing it? What's the purpose of it? Because things can be funny improvised that when you film them won't be funny, won't be funny written down. Like improv jokes are completely different structure to written jokes. Like there's all these crossovers, but obviously there's all these other separate bits. You can't, people just use improv as cheap, cheap instant television sometimes. Right.
1: So what happens then when you do Murder and Successful and you've got the mark in there, the person who's the guest that week, who is not at all involved yeah. with impro. How do you work with someone who doesn't know any of the rules? so do you have to go over them or what?
3: <laughs> no, so Murder is Successful was a really interesting hybrid and I think definitely a follow on from Who's Line because, you know, ev- there's no Who's Line on Telly now. Everyone's like, oh you can't do improv and telly, but Murder Successful essentially is parlor games hidden yeah. around characters. Yeah. So the things that they do in Murder Successful, first of all there's a script. There's a hundred percent of script. Yeah. Not everyone sticks to it.
1: No, <laughs> we know. Yeah, <laughs> yes. They don't stick to it for very good reasons yeah. and with very good results. Yeah,
3: and this, but the script is really important because you want there to be this loose murder plot. You want to know, I'm speaking to them first, da, 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 da. So when I get, like... An I'll be honest, some people, Murder Successful, do stick to the script because that's their skill. They're coming in as impressionists or they're coming in as comedy performers. Yeah. But when they use me, they know I'm not going to stick to the script because that's yeah. what they've got me in for. So, yeah. you know, but there is a script. And also, if you have a guest who's just not playing, then I have a script to fall back on. But what I also think is fascinating about the time that Murder Successful um, has been made is that it uses quite a few reality TV stars. And I did not realize So I started working with them that they are improvisers. They are the current improv on television. What's improv on television? Love Island is improv on television. They are told what to say in that kind of like, there's a loose script. There's a producer, Clive Anderson. There's a Clive Anderson in Love Island being like, Wes, you know what you should do? You should tell El that they said that because it's out of order, isn't it? And instead of, Colin Mockery being like, oh, do you want me to do it in the style of a film noir? <laughs> yeah. I can. There's a man who can't do it in the style of a film noir but can go over and make it look real. So when we worked with... Um, Jamie Lang was the one that really stuck out with me because that's a lot of people's favourite episode. It was yeah. very, very funny. I couldn't believe how good he was. Like yeah, I was absolutely- like, he's improvising. Like He's yes-anding everything I'm saying. He's not blocking me. He's building on stuff. He's calling back. And I was sat there going, of course, you're a fucking improviser. But reality TV has created improvisers but I wouldn't they probably don't class themselves that. they probably don't realise that they are what's the word unconsciously yes anding because they realise like oh if I have a scene if I'm told to argue with Binky or whatever and I just say no that doesn't get into the show does it but if I yes and it and we discuss it that becomes an interesting scene
1: I so wasn't (laughs) expecting this to uh, end up at Love Island (laughs)
0: I suppose the thing that's really exciting about this is you're talking about collaboration. Yeah. Which is something, again, when you talk to people in comedy, you're either someone who uh, won't collaborate. Yes. And you've got to be really talented (laughs) to say, I will take no one else's advice. But most people are put in a position where you're relying on the people around you to make you look good. One person does it wrong. Mm. Something that was funny on the page is not funny. And I suppose the thing you get with with improvisers is everyone is amazing at collaboration.
3: Yeah, it it makes... completely strengthens your collaboration and that's the reason i would like a writer's room is because i come from improv so i'm used to working with other people Mm. now and i i used to do a lot of theater devising shows as well comedy shows i love working with other people i love other people's ideas because i just think i've never i've never ever in my career seen an idea not be bettered by someone else's idea so like when you when you realise that, when you're like, oh, here's my idea, I quite like it. But when I added someone else, it was so much more interesting. Why wouldn't you always want to collaborate? Yeah. What most improvisers are looking for, the hit we're all after, is the moment when neither of us know where it's going. And that is fucking, <laughs> that's oh. the best. When you're like, I don't know. And you see their eyes and they're like, I don't know. Oh, and that's you're, fantastic. And you're Can the audience together. see that as well? Yeah, I think that's when you feel, you know, especially if you look, really good games from Who's Line, like a really good show is when, you see it their fate we call it like um, Keith Johnson talks about like there's a light in that person yeah. and it's like they're on fire there's, some, there's a white in their eyes that you're like that person seems to be glowing what's happening and it's like they genuinely don't know isn't that how Tony them. Slattery
1: looks all the time yes though. I think-
0: so I, suppose, I think so. Maybe that's the secret to this What you're watching Is something you very rarely Get to see in comedy Which is the moment yes. Of inspiration yeah. Normally Crazy that's process. hidden away Somewhere yeah. else And people sort of go, Oh I wish I could be On the fly on the wall Of, of X or Y writer When they yeah. made up that And you go Well with improv You get to watch that yeah. happen And there's Peter, nothing Peter Sellers
1: says that Doesn't he Peter Sellers said In I think in a Parkinson interview He said the, the only bit of it That's enjoyable Is the moment When it comes out of you yeah. That's why I get Blake To keep all those outtakes because you can yeah. see the moment yeah. when you look at and those. And what
3: I love about improvisation is that if I'm improvising with someone, I get to see it, the audience get to see it, and then the audience get to see me seeing it. Yeah. So they see me trying not to laugh. They see me thinking, oh, my God, he's not the great gameskeeper. He's my gameskeeper. He's not the groundskeeper. He's my dad. Like, And we all do <laughs> the same thing at the same time. And then the, the reaction... So you, as an actor, obviously, when you, you're saying scripted lines, you're like, oh, here comes the bit they're going to realise... I get to feel it exactly the same moment the audience do. That is so fucking exciting. And then when you, especially with story, when like someone gets together or something's revealed, and the audience go, oh, and all of us in ostentatious at the side go, oh, like, I didn't know Daniel was her dad. Like, <laughs> what? And you realise they're just imp- they're just improvising. They this just made amazing. a choice, and I'm I'm privileged to it.
0: What you've got there is something that is that it's bottled lightning.
3: Oh yeah, it's amazing. It's the thing.
0: As a writer, it's the, the funnest part of the day when yeah. you think of a solution to a problem, when you bust it. But the idea of doing that live on yeah. stage, that's bareback riding it's, it's so yeah, exciting.
3: It's very exciting. And when it works, it's amazing. And when it doesn't, it's awful.
0: Because there's no net, there's, there's just no a stage net. underneath.
3: And there's no hiding. You can't be like, God, thank God no one heard me make that joke. Because that <laughs> was awful. They heard it, they looked at you. Your team players are looking at you like, wow, yeah. you made that joke. And you better like, own it. Yeah. You're like, yep, I made that joke. Please say something else. And they rescue you. Like we took, we use that phrase a lot, rescue people from scenes, get them out the scenes, edit the scene because it, it hasn't worked. But doesn't matter. We've got another scene. Who cares? Yeah. So you're. It's very positive because you're always looking for the next thing, and you're always thinking. Well, this, we can fix the story. Some one of my teachers, David Shaw, used to say, "It's never. Too, it's never too late to save your show. It's never too late to fuck your show." <laughs> and if you think think about that in writing as well, yeah. like if you're just sitting down, going, even if we are on the eleventh draft of this, we could save this. Yeah. Isn't that great? Like maybe today's the day.
0: Yeah. The, 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 ener- the energy that comes off that is is unbeatable and. Uncapturable normally, and is the thing you're always looking for. Yeah, and yeah. the way you're describing this is it's so exciting because this is this is why you do it. Yeah, whether I, you're a writer or a performer or employee, you're after that moment of, of of absolute magic where a second ago it was broken and now it's fixed, yes. that's what everyone's looking for, and to. That's brilliant. I mean, it never occurred to me that was what I was watching in Who's yeah. Iron and what I'm watching when I'm watching improv. Thank, thank fuck somebody
1: filmed all that improv yeah, for know. us, you know? To make us understand what put put on TV on a Friday night at a point at which we could all sit and enjoy it. And
3: now you can, and I, you know, if there isn't a lot of filmed improv and now you can no. watch it and technically unpick it if you want. It's all on 4 ad the entire Who's Line yeah. series. God,
1: and there's, so, there's about 130 I episodes guess, or Yeah, there's like
3: nine there? series and wow. like it's a dip lot. In. Yeah, but dip in. You'll learn. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's amazing.
1: Carrie had... My brain is absolutely full. (laughs) That was a spectacular conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for for coming on Rule of Three.
3: Thank you.